Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The volume. NBA fans, the wait is over. Basketball is back. And DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is celebrating with an unbeatable offer. New customers can score $200 instantly in bonus bets for throwing down $5 on the NBA. Win or lose, it doesn't matter. You'll start the season with an instant dub. And with DraftKings parlays, everyone's got a shot at an even bigger basketball win. String together multiple bets from the same game or build your parlay across multiple games for a shot at making your payday even sweeter. Basketball's more fun when you're in on the action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S. New customers can get $200 in bonus bets instantly for betting just $5. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code HOOPS. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. Licensee partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles in Louisiana. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Friday, everybody. Hope all of you guys had an amazing week and that you got big plans for the weekend. I will be prepping my house to get painted, so hopefully you'll be doing something more fun than what I'll be doing this weekend. we got a jam-packed show for today, and then tonight we're going to be covering the Friday night slate. In this show, we're hitting Victor Wembanyama's best game as a pro. 38 points, 10 rebounds, and 2 assists in a fourth-quarter barrage 
that puts the Suns below 500 at two and three. We're going to talk about that game from the perspective of both teams. And then as I've been saying, we're tweaking the format of the show a little bit this year. We're going to do fewer game breakdowns and more deep dives on specific teams so we can learn a little bit more from more in-depth film sessions. And so I did an in-depth film session on the Milwaukee Bucks this morning on both ends of the floor as they suffered an embarrassing loss to the Toronto Raptors the other day to fall to 2-2. Two and two. And they've been especially bad on the defensive end of the floor. So we're going to do a deep dive into what is wrong with the Bucks at this point in time. You guys know the drill before we get started. Subscribe to our brand new YouTube channel. Uh, we're getting this thing launched off the ground. I sincerely appreciate all of you have subscribed already. If you haven't done so, it would, it would mean a lot to me if you guys took a couple seconds just to hit down and hit that subscribe button. Don't forget about our podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts under Hoops Tonight. Social media, TikTok, Instagram, as well as Twitter. I've been doing my film sessions in the morning on Twitter, but I'm doing film content and show announcements on social media. And then last but not least, we need more mailbag questions. Keep dropping those in the YouTube comments so we can hit them later on in the shows throughout the week. All right, let's talk some basketball. So the Spurs jump all over the Suns on the road. After Remember, this team just beat the Suns in dramatic fashion coming from behind with that late-game steal from Keldon Johnson in the layup uh, with just, a, uh, I think, what was there, less than a second left at that point. Um, so you'd think the Suns would be coming out wanting revenge. No, the Spurs jumped them early. Victor Wembanyama has 20 in the first half. Devin Vassell has 17 in the first half. Victor's dribbling down the floor and hitting pull-up transition threes, and the Suns look like they're in some trouble, right? But then the Suns wake up late third quarter, early fourth. Devin Booker is still very much on fire, five for seven from three again in that game. He had 31 points and 13 assists. He's got this like really nice connection and pick and roll with Drew Eubanks, who kind of finds that little soft spot in between the charge circle and the semicircle and just kind of hangs out there and waits as Devin like kind of works behind the basket. He'll drop it off to him in front of the rim, and he can either make that little floater or he can take that little hard drop step and then take a little hook shot over the top. Devin Booker is off to an insane start again following up his insane playoff run. He's averaging 32 points, 8 rebounds, and 11 assists on 72% true shooting. I've been saying that uh, I think I think this is one of those situations where Devin Booker is ascending to true superstar status. Like I mean, like joining up with those top-tier guys, his shot-making is becoming as reliable as the best shooters in the world, and he's actually turned himself into an average to slightly above-average defensive player. He's a super high-level playmaker. That was the big thing that stood out to us early in the season, right? And then 13 assists again last night. Keita Bates-Jopp had a nice shift there. Um in that fourth quarter run, he had two slashing layups, including one where he actually worked around Victor Wembenyama to finish at the rim, which was really impressive. Um, and hit a big corner three that ended up tying the game late. I thought that was an interesting kind of development from a team that needs guys that can come off the bench and do dirty work stuff as role players. I thought Keita Bates' shot played well. KD locked in defensively, made some big defensive plays as they got back into the game, hit a big pull-up three in that run. So they get all the way back and they tie it at 116 on the Keita Bates' job three. And then what I really appreciated is like one of the things that you hope to see from really smart half-court basketball players is they do a good job of identifying when you really need to find an easy shot, right? Like 
everybody knows even the uh, you know like the the best guards in the world can come off of a ball screen and shoot a pull up three. Wemby knows that he can probably get a pull up three whenever he wants, right? All the best wings in the world can get to some sort of turnaround fadeaway or step back jump shot whenever they want. But usually, when they know their offense is struggling and they need to get them kind of get the lid off the rim, so to speak, they usually have something they go to that's a little bit more reliable, a little bit higher percentage, right? And like, the best players in the world are really good at identifying when those moments are. Victor Weminyama, when it's tied at 116, just runs down the floor, gets deep post position, and ducks in and calls for the basketball. They uh, throw the post entry to him, he draws a foul, he gets to the line, he makes a free throw. That's a super high percentage play for Wemby. He knows he's either going to get a foul or a bucket in that position, when the floor is spaced, it was kind of in a semi-transition set, so the floor was a little spread out. He had plenty of room. He's an easy target because of how tall he is. It was a really high percentage play, right? He comes down the floor and uh, uh, flashes to the kind of like mid-post area on the block and shoots a quick jump shot over Kevin Durant and draws a foul. Another smart play where he's working to get close to the rim, and then he jumps straight up and down, knowing KD can't block him, and if KD gets into his airspace at all, he has a chance to get a foul there. Makes those two free throws. Now we're up three. The Spurs are up 119-116. Then they post up Zach Collins on the left baseline. And Drew Eubanks makes the first of three pivotal mistakes down the stretch of this game. He overhelps as Zach Collins spins towards the baseline. He's pushed underneath the basket. Doesn't really have anything. But Eubanks goes and offers hard help. Zach Collins drops it off to Victor Wembanyama, who has another one of those like completely nonsensical dunks where he just elevates over everyone and dunks it with his left hand, suddenly the Spurs are up by five, right? Eubanks then makes his second big defensive mistake down the stretch. Zach Collins catches the ball in the middle of the floor and takes a drop step, and Eubanks flops to try to draw a foul in the lane, falls over, doesn't get the call. Zach Collins just goes up with a little easy floater in the lane. He makes it. Now the Spurs are up seven. And then we get Victor Weminyama on the upper right wing in a play that I thought was incredibly impressive and is specifically an, an impressive demonstration of high-level footwork. So most right-handed players like to operate out of a left foot pivot foot. Why? Because it's really easy to get to a right-handed drive from there, right? Got the ball, hard jab step to the right, I could pull up, I can just rip through to the right, or I can jab and go to the left, right? Or it's set up for a step back to the left if I need to go that way. It's really easy to do footwork off of your left foot pivot foot. I find this when I'm working with my high school kids, like all the righties do just fine with their footwork attacking closeouts when they're set up with their left foot pivot foot. But then I put them on the other side of the floor and I force them to do their right foot deliberately so that they learn to have mirror image footwork, right? But they struggle a lot with that. And the main reason why is because you just don't see a lot of right-handed players that learn how to set up with their right foot pivot foot. It just is a mirror image. It's a little more awkward. Uh, uh, All of the different kind of angles of the way your body sets up for jump shots are different that way, right? Because you like to have your left foot back as a right-handed shooter, right? So it's just a little bit weird. But if you learn how to do it, it can make you a lot harder to guard. And so I thought it was really interesting. Victor runs out to the perimeter, grabs the ball, and Drew Eubanks is on him, and he's set up with his right foot pivot foot with his back to the basket. And he does a hard reverse pivot out of it, right? Like an over-the-top, it wasn't a reverse pivot, it was an over-the-top pivot. And he turns and faces Eubanks with his right foot pivot, right? And then he does like a reverse jab step where he's got his right foot set up as the pivot, but he jabs like he's going to go to the right, and Eubanks just bites on the fake. And then from there... Keeping that right foot pivot, he just pushes off to the left 
and then sets his footwork for an easy pull-up jump shot going to his left. And I thought it was really fascinating because, again, like I have a hard enough time finding right-handed guards that know how to work with a right foot pivot. And here's this 19-year-old seven-foot-four center that has more polished footwork than a lot of the perimeter players that you'll see playing basketball. And it was just an incredibly impressive move as he elevates and knocks down the jump shot. You could literally hear Eddie Johnson and the Phoenix Suns crew going like, what, what do you do with that? You know, what do you do with that? It was a, it, it was kind of like wild. Everybody on the floor is in shock watching as Wembenyama just completely takes over the game. That puts him up by 10. He adds one more flash, uh, flashes to the top of the key and knocks down a catch and shoot jump shot to put him up by 12 just for fun. Uh, but he completely dominated down the stretch. The Spurs actually played some pretty impressive defense down the stretch as well. Uh, Yuta Watanabe had a wide open three in the left corner where Victor Wembenyama is kind of uniquely equipped to be able to help out of the strong side corner on the Devin Booker drive. But then still recover out. He did this like weird like scissor kick Jordan symbol contest on Yudawan Nabi that just bothered him enough to get him to miss the shot. Remember, Yudawan Nabi shot over 50% on corner threes last year. Uh, Drew Eubanks, his third pivotal mistake down the stretch of the game, missed a point blank layup on the right side of the basket against Zach Collins that he's got to make. KD missed a pull-up three that uh, rimmed in and out. And then Jeremy Sochan, uh, Sohan um, had a really impressive block on Devin Booker driving towards the left. And so a combination of Victor Wembenyama's shot-making and a uh, high-level defense on the other end of the floor and the Spurs notch their third win of the season as they go to 3-2. and two. Victor Wembenyama, 38 points, 10 rebounds, 2 assists with 2 blocks and a steal. He's averaging 21 points and 8 rebounds in just 29 minutes per game. If you extrapolated that out to a 36-minute night like most players do when they um, are in their primes, which I'm sure Victor will eventually do when uh, – I would imagine they'll keep him down as, at 29 as a rookie, but don't be surprised if in a year or two he's playing, you know, 33 to 35 minutes a game. But at a 30 uh, per 36 basis, he's scoring 26 points and 10 rebounds on 59% true shooting. He's also fifth in the league in stocks that steals plus blocks per game at 3.6, despite playing just 29 minutes. Anthony Davis is in first place in that stat right now. And after last night, another clutch scoring barrage, his third of the season, he now is third in the league in clutch scoring. 21 points on 7 for 10 shooting just behind Luka Doncic and LeBron James. It's the third time this season that he's looked really, really comfortable in a close game late on a floor with other really comfortable closers, which is just an unbelievable, impressive level of confidence. The defensive numbers are hilarious with Victor. When he's on the floor for that 29 minutes a game, the Spurs have a 103.6 defensive rating, which is the same as the third best team in the league right now, the Orlando Magic, right? So they have a top three defense when Victor's on the floor. But in the big picture for 48 minutes a game, they're 27th in defensive rating, giving over 100, giving up over 116 points per 100 possessions. So as you can see, they like when Victor's on the floor, they have an elite defense already. Already an elite defense with Victor on the floor, but they're just so unbelievably atrocious without him that they still have a bad defense in the league. But most importantly, the Spurs are three and two. So he's putting up unbelievable numbers. He's going toe to toe with stars at the end of games. He's single handedly anchoring a top three level defense when he's on the floor, and they're winning games. They're three and two. This is. I just hope everybody who's watching this appreciates it for what it is, which is a once-in-a-generation type of player and a guy who, if he's healthy, is going to be an all-time great, and we're going to get to watch it and cover it from start to finish. And 
I hope everybody appreciates it for what it is. Kevin Durant post game was asked uh, about uh, what elements he sees of himself in Victor's game, and he gave this really, really eloquent answer that I appreciated. KD is just like KD has such a, a level of respect and love for the game of basketball that he's just like the perfect guy to kind of handle these kinds of situations. Um, because a lot of other people would just get jealous or weird or hate on the kid, and like. Kevin Durant, I encourage you guys to go listen to it if you haven't listened to it yet, but KD basically goes like, like he's going to carve out his own lane. And I guarantee you he's watched and has added elements from lots of different players. This is a concept I've talked about a lot on the show before, but like when everybody asks uh, about a specific player, like who does he remind you of or, or who do you try to play like? It's like every real hoop head that I know tries to play like all the guys in various different ways, right? Like for me personally, I've added certain elements to my footwork from Paul George, certain elements of my post game from Kawhi Leonard, certain elements of my like kind of like mid-range footwork from Kyrie Irving. My step back three has similar footwork to what you see from James Harden and Kyrie Irving, right? Like there's, I, I, as a fan over the years, I've watched all of those guys, loved all those individual parts of their game and tried to add those things to my game. And that's, that's what all of these young basketball players are doing. I guarantee you Victor has wanted to add specific elements of KD's game to his uh, to his bag, Kyrie's game. Did you see that video of him handling the basketball before the game? It's it's ridiculous. So like like I I agree with KD. Like Victor's going to carve his own lane. He's a super unique player and like I feel I feel super fortunate that we're going to get to cover his career from start to finish. It's going to be a lot of fun. On the Suns' front, late-game offense continues to be a major issue. They are 1-3 so far in clutch games. That, mean, that means any game that involves a score within five points with less than five minutes left. They've played 16 minutes of clutch basketball, and they've been outscored 43-31. to 31. They're scoring at a rate of just... Um, they're scoring at a rate of just uh, 86 points per 100 possessions when the score is within five with less than five minutes left. And their defense has been atrocious. They're giving up 123 points per 100 clutch possessions. So bad on both ends of the floor. Um, big part of it is just not having your main guys out there, right? Like having Bradley Beal and Kevin Durant and Devin Booker out there would help a lot. Um, down the stretch, I did think they got some good looks. Like Yuta Watanabe makes that corner three. You're in some better shape, right? Drew Eubanks makes that easy little layup under the rim. You're in better shape. Kevin Durant got a pretty good look at the top of the key that he missed. It's so like at the end of the day, like some of it's shot making, some of it is not having your main personnel. Um, there is a problem at the center position, and this is something that we talked about before the season. Like you could see the reasoning behind bringing in Nurkic to kind of help with aggressive ball screen coverages, uh, but like. Nurkic can't guard and Drew Eubanks just made three crucial mistakes down the stretch of the game and so like they they kind of have two two problematic options there at the center position and I wonder if that's going to be something that they have to address down the line. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere like at your pregame barbecue while you prep your meats that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch garage and the car inside and without the right home and auto insurance coverage the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It is an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories 
from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoops takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home services marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled professionals to get the job done well. Something I've always been a big believer in. When you try to take projects on yourself, you usually don't know what you're doing. You usually end up making mistakes and it can be a big headache. And so not only can a professional from Angie get the job done more efficiently, but they also are people that you can support within your community as local businesses. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job is done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects easy. Consider Angie your hub for all your home improvement needs. They can help you find the best price for your project by comparing quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. Angie has cost guides that will tell you what others have paid for similar projects, both nationally and in your area. And the app is free and easy to use. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. All right, let's move on to the Milwaukee Bucks. We're going to do a deep dive here. Uh, again, like just by structuring the show in this in this matter, it allows me to just really dive into one particular team, watch lots and lots of film and and pull clips and do video breakdowns and, and just kind of give a more in-depth perspective on individual teams. And so instant reactions are always going to be part of the show. God knows that's literally what we do the entire playoffs. Like that's, it's not like we're not going to do instant reactions. I just want to kind of have a better balance of reacting to games because that's fun. And then also doing deep dives on teams so we can actually learn something about these teams in the bigger picture. So the Bucks are off to a two and two start. A couple of pretty embarrassing losses. They got absolutely crushed at home from the opening tip by the Hawks. And then they got absolutely crushed from the opening tip on the road to a Raptors team that in their other five games is one in four. And really has struggled to score the basketball, yet had no problem scoring against the Bucks. Now again, uh, like you guys might remember from before the season, I predicted that the Bucks would struggle during the regular season. They are just going to have to take on an entirely different identity than what they've had in years past. They're not as deep, and they're particularly weak at the point of attack. So a lot of the elements of the Dame trade are more about the bigger picture, what they're going to look like when we get to April and May, right? And uh, I would say that it's looked a little worse than I've, I've expected, but it is kind of the same type of issues that I'm expecting. The offense looks clunky. Dame and Giannis don't really seem to know how to play with each other yet. And on the defensive end, they're just they're just terrible, which we're going to dig into here in a minute. And like a lot of it's fixable. What did I say about the Lakers when they got off to, when they got off to their bad start? What did I say about the Timberwolves when they got off to their bad start? Like sometimes basketball teams just play bad basketball. And the truth of the matter is, is it literally happens all the time throughout the season. But for whatever reason, we always hyper react to it, overreact to it at the start of the season, right? Like. How often does it, like, for instance, the Los Angeles Lakers in the year 2020 when they won the title, they once lost four games in a row. Like, it was started with that Christmas Day game against the Clippers, and then they lost, like, four games after that. Or it might have been, that might have been one of the middle games in that stretch, but they lost four games in a row. Had they started the season 0 4, 
everyone would have like been like, oh my gosh, what's wrong with the Los Angeles Lakers, right? Like, but because it happened in the middle of the season, we're just like, oh, they just started playing like shit for a week. Like, because that's what happened, right? Well, guess what? If you start a season in the middle of October or October 24th or whatever, there's 30 teams. There's going to be some that come out the gates playing good basketball, and there's going to be some that come out the gates playing bad basketball. And this is a Bucks team that came out, out the gates playing bad basketball. And we're, we're going to dive into it because I, like, there are some things that are real personnel limitations that they're going to have to address over the course of the season. And then there are other things that are like, hey, just do a better job. Like You got to do a better job. And as that stuff happens and they play better in those specific roles, like they'll uh, defend a little better, right? And when they defend a little bit better, they'll get more transition opportunities. They'll have more confidence on the offensive end of the floor. It's kind of like a snowball effect. And you can see pretty quickly how it turns things around for a team. And it can happen pretty quick. I mean, the Lakers played like absolute dog shit for the first four games of the season. And then the second, four and a half games. And then they came out second half against the Clippers and some stuff clicked into place and suddenly they looked a lot better. And that's what I expect to happen with the Bucks in the big picture. Um, but I want to dig into the tape for a little bit. So first of all, when I'm, uh, when I'm going over this, I have two threads on my Twitter feed. And again, my Twitter feed is at underscore JasonLT. One of them's on the offensive end of the floor. One of them's on the defensive end of the floor. Defense is more comprehensive, but I pulled clips from both. Uh, what I want to do here is I want to do, I want to just go all in on the defense and talk about everything that I noticed that went wrong. You're going to want to look through that thread because there's a lot of really good visual representations of the things that I'm talking about. Uh, but this is the best way that we can find out why and, and how the, the, the Bucks defense has been as bad as it has been. Now, how bad has it been? They are 29th in defensive rating, 24th in half-court defense, according to Cleaning the Glass. They are the worst transition defense in the NBA by a mile. They are giving up a transition play on 22% of their defensive possessions, which is dead last in the league, and they're giving up 1.62 points per transition play which is dead last in the league. On tape, you could see it, and I pulled several clips of this that you'll see in that thread, but like, generally speaking, just guys not running back. Dame, in particular, not picking up the ball in transition. That was a big problem with him with Dennis Schroeder, who's good at pushing the pace. Uh, when they get back in transition, a lot of guys are like running back to the paint and then just staying there instead of spraying out. Transition defense has a very basic principle. You run to the paint first, and then you find a man. Right? That's what you do. And generally speaking, you stay in the paint until your rim protector gets there, then you fan out, right? Like when Brooke Lopez gets back in the paint, then you go find your shooter. There was a play where uh, uh, Marjan Beauchamp and uh, Jay Crowder both were just, or Bobby Portis, I think it was, were both like standing in the paint in transition as it, after they sprinted back. Everyone's in the paint. There's like four Bucks bodies in the paint, and they both just immediately start staring at the basketball and stand and watch as the ball just gets swung to the top of the key to a wide open shooter for three. Like that's just bad transition defense. There are transition plays where guys got beat from behind, meaning like literally no one protected the rim, and a guy just ran the right lane. The ball got dropped off to Scotty Barnes for an easy layup underneath the basket. Like in general, they're just not doing a good job. And like when it comes to transition defense, you're always at a disadvantage. You're not expecting to lock teams up in transition, but you have to limit frequency and limit the efficiency in those situations by just doing a better job. Sprint back to the rim, talk, get matched up. It's really that simple. And like they're just not doing a good enough job. Like one of the things that fans do a lot, and trust me, I see this with uh, like when I used to cover the Lakers, I saw it with Laker fans nonstop. 
Like, it was Frank Vogel's the worst coach in the world. Oh, Darvin Ham's the worst coach in the world. I've been hearing this shit for years. It's what everybody does, right? You blame the coach. Now, is Adrian Griffin done a perfect job? No, absolutely not. There's a lot of different things that we'll talk about today that I think schematically they need to do differently. However, before we put all of the blame on Adrian Griffin, the players are also not doing their jobs. In order for a scheme to be properly evaluated, it has to be executed properly. I could have the smartest defensive scheme in the world for a specific roster, but if the guys don't do their jobs, the scheme will fall apart. And so at the end of the day, it's 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 complicated. All these things are complicated. How does a team with Giannis and Brooke Lopez, the best defensive front line uh, one of the best defensive front lines in the league, anchor the 29th-ranked defense. A lot of things have to go wrong. Brooks not doing as good of a job as he usually does. Giannis isn't doing as good of a job as he usually does. Point of attack defense is an issue. Backside rebounding, help. We're going to talk about all of it, but it's a lot of stuff that goes wrong. There are different schematic things they need to do differently, but again, like fire, you could fire Adrian Griffin tomorrow, but if they don't, if they don't buy into whatever the next coach is doing and actually execute whatever his scheme is, it's going to fail anyway. And so again, like a lot of times we get, it's easy to just point a finger at the coach, but like the players are out there playing the games and they got to do their job as well. Um, In the half court, and again, 24th and half court defense, you can't blame it all on the transition defense. It's a failure of execution at every level. Uh, Damian Lillard, Malik Monk, excuse me, Malik Malik Beasley, and uh, Pat Connaughton, all three of those guys are really, really struggling and they're getting picked on every single time. They are dying on screens. They're switching screens that they shouldn't switch, which is getting them into mismatches. Then when the Bucs try to scram them out of mismatches, those guards aren't rotating. There's a play that you'll see on that thread that I put out there where Damian Lillard switches a side pick and roll. Probably shouldn't have switched it to begin with, right? Then he ends up in a post-mismatch that Giannis scrams him out of. But when Giannis scrams him out of the mismatch, now think, think what am I what does that mean to scram somebody out of a mismatch? So like the side ball screen, Dame switches it, now he's on a big wing, right? In that position, what you're trying to do is before they make the post entry, in that gap when the post player is asking for the ball and when they make the post entry, you're trying to basically pre-rotate out of it. So you want Giannis in this case to sprint over and go to Dame's man as Dame is running out to the shooter. Basically allowing you, it's like, it's kind of like a wheel, and you quickly rotate out of it, and then now all of a sudden the mismatch isn't there and Giannis is in the post. Well, on this play, Giannis goes to scram Dame out of the switch, and Dame just kind of like floats around in the middle of the floor and ends up giving up a wide open three in the process. Like that's just bad defense. That's just that's that's just a guy not doing his job in the scheme. Probably shouldn't have switched that screen. That should be. Uh, all side ball screens you want to ice right because especially against a team like the Raptors that aren't good pull-up shooters if you ice the screen that means as the guy comes to set the ball screen on the wing as the ball handler is trying to come off you deny him the screen you jump high side and force him to go back towards the baseline and then your drop whoever your guy who's guarding the screener sits back in that spot uh, the, the nobody really on the uh, Raptors uh, in the Raptors forwards is a good enough shooter to justify like panic chasing him around. You offer a late closeout. That's what you do. So like if he drives to the baseline and throws a pocket pass to the elbow, you offer a late closeout. If uh, the ball handler goes towards the baseline and takes a pull up jump shot, you offer a late closeout. If it's Dennis Schroeder, you live with that shot, right? But like so that's an example for Major and Griffin where it's a schematic thing, right? Like probably shouldn't just be switching a side pick and roll and putting Dame or Malik onto a big forward, right? Uh, but at the same time, like I'm not even 100% sure if that is the scheme. It could very well be that Dame just 
died on the screen and said switch. And that's why like it, it, it's, we don't know what's actually going on. Now, that it does inevitably in the big picture come back on coaching because this is game four, right? If it's still happening in game 12 and the scheme is you're supposed to ice it, but they're switching it instead, then that's an accountability issue. And now it falls back on the coach for the coach not actually making sure that the players are aware that they're expected to do their jobs and that they're, you know, that there's some sort of fallout from that. Not that you're going to remove Dame from the game, but you got to somehow get in his ear and get him to do his job if that's the case. But we don't know. It could also just be Adrian Griffin calling for a switch there. So like that sort of thing is an example of a schematic approach that they need to change, but that concept of the guards being incapable of navigating screens is a problem. There was a play where uh, Malik Beasley uh, in a ball screen with Jakob Pertl and and Dennis Schroeder Saw the ball screen coming, did a nice job sidling over the top of the screen. Actually did a good job on this possession. Chested up Dennis Schroeder and cut him off. But then Dennis Schroeder literally just hit him with a slight hesitation move and Malik froze and Dennis went right by him downhill. And then on the play, Brooke Lopez, who's guarding a non-shooter in Jakapertl, was way too high at the level of the screen behind the play and then when he tried to get back into the play to block Dennis Schroeder at the rim, he had to like sell out for it and it was an easy drop-off for Jakob Pertl for a dunk going down the lane. And again, like, execution, you got to get a better job at the point of attack from Malik Beasley there. Schematics, what is Brook Lopez doing? Why is he Why is he not in a deeper drop? Jakob Pertl's not going to hurt you in that situation. I saw, like, there was a... I think Brook thought that Malik cut him off and figured it was going to flow into a dribble handoff with Gary Trent Jr. coming out of the corner in which case Gary Trent Jr. is a good pull-up shooter and he might have to show high. But even then, you sit back in the drop, further back, to help on the Dennis Schroeder drive. Then if he gets rid of the basketball, then you sprint back up to the level of the screen. That's that yo-yo we always talk about. you got to go back to the rim for help, up to the level of the screen when the coverage dictates it. Back to the rim for help, up to the level of the screen when the coverage dictates it. So like in general... Like I, I, that to me is Brooke Lopez either being in the wrong spot schematically or blowing the coverage. How do we know that Adrian Griffin hasn't told him, hey, on Dennis Schroeder ball screens, sit in a deeper drop? Like we don't know. And so again, like that's where it's hard to really identify who the culprit is. The, the, the execution is poor, but at the same time, we don't know if that's actually what the scheme is calling for. But in general, against a, a team that is not a good pull-up jump shooting team, but also your point of attack defense is weak, you have to sit in more conservative ball screen coverages, meaning your big man has to sit further back towards the rim. Way too often they were caught up at the level, so when they got beat, they, there was no help at the rim, right? There was another play, like a horn set, where uh, Pat Connaughton and Jay Crowder ran a switch that came right out of a dribble handoff. So basically, uh, Pascal Siakam runs a dribble handoff with, I think it was, I want to say it was Schroeder, um, but I can't remember exactly who it was. But Crowder, yeah, no, Schroeder has the ball, and uh, uh, and and Pascal Siakam uh, runs up and gets the ball and then runs another dribble handoff with Schroeder, right? On the play, as Schroeder comes off the dribble handoff, Jay Crowder jumps out and switches onto Schroeder on the left wing. So imagine in this case, you've got Bobby Portis who's guarding the screener, who is Jakob Pertl in this case. He's sitting back at the semicircle, okay? Dennis Schroeder now has the ball up on the left wing and Crowder has switched out onto him. So in this case, because Crowder switched, 
Pat Connaughton, who was guarding Schroeder, now has to switch on to Pascal Siakam. But he doesn't. They botch the switch. So as Crowder switches, Connaughton stays home for just a split second. That gives Jakob Pertl the angle to turn and quickly flip the screen, the back screen, on Connaughton. Had Connaughton been paying attention and they switched properly, he would have been in position to navigate the screen better. But he wasn't, so Jakob Pertl just lays the wood on him and, and hits him with a good solid screen, and then Schroeder throws the over-the-top pass to Siakam, who then catches and rips down the lane to the basket. So we have poor execution on the switch. But then there's the poor schematic approach because Bobby Portis guarding a non-shooter in Pirtle in an action with two other non-shooters in Siakam and Schroeder, he's way up at the foul line. So when Connaughton's trailing the play and Siakam rips through to the right, he's got an easy lane down to the rim. Whereas if, uh, whereas if Bobby Portis is running that conservative drop I'm talking about and sitting back, he can offer help on the Siakam drive, which then you can rotate out of. So again, like it's not just the schematics. There's poor execution taking place as well. Right now, they're getting really poor perimeter defense play out of Malik Beasley, out of Damian Lillard, and out of Pat Connaughton in particular. But you see it elsewhere on the floor as well. Bobby Portis, one play, just got absolutely toasted on a straight-up one-on-one drive by Scotty Barnes. Just literally just faced him up, Portis is there, sitting in a stance, and he just goes right by him to the left and makes a left-handed layup off the glass. There was another play, Chris Middleton, guarding uh, Pascal Siakam on the right wing. Some of it was bad technique. Pascal, Siakam's da- Pascal Siakam has not shot over 35% from three since 2020. And Middleton hard closes out to his shooting hand, and Siakam just rips through to the baseline. And so, like again, Chris Middleton giving up a straight-line drive to a non-shooter probably shouldn't happen, right? On the same play, Giannis got switched out on Dennis Schroeder. Jay Crowder was guarding Jakob Pertl in the post. Jakob Pertl posted up on him, not just to call for the ball, but to clear out the help side. Jay Crowder, instead of fighting around to the front so that he could offer help, he just stayed on the backside. So when Middleton got beat by Siakam towards the baseline, he just went right to the rim and laid it up, and there was no help. Because Jay Crowder didn't do his job by fronting the post to get into a position where he could help on the drive. So again, like most of this is execution, I would argue. And like I don't think you're going to see some sort of dramatic change in defensive scheme until guys just start doing a better job. It's it's been a consistent problem throughout the start of this season. There's the help and recover decisions have been poor. Like there's another play where uh, Grady Dick got a wide open three on the right wing because literally Malachi Flynn is running a ball screen on the left wing and he's kind of working downhill, but Brooke Lopez has it under control and Jay Crowder just sinks all the way into the elbow and gives up an easy kickout three to, uh, to Grady Dick. Grady Dick knocks down the three. You literally see Jay Crowder go, my bad. Again, that's not a schematic thing. That's just a guy doing a bad job. And then they cannot, like, for whatever reason, they just allowed the Toronto uh, big post players to attack their small guards in the post without help. There were two clips I pulled in the late second quarter, you guys can find them in that thread, where Pat Connaughton and Malik Beasley got posted up by Scotty Barnes. And on both plays, you can see guys glued up off the ball on players like OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam. There was one in particular 
where Dame is glued up on Schroeder. Siakam has Jay Crowder glued up on him. And Scotty Barnes is posting up Malik Beasley. And it ha- it like goes on for like five seconds. And on the play, it would be so easy just for Crowder to double team to get the ball out of Scotty Barnes' hands. The pass is going to go out to Pascal Siakam. Dame rotates over, which is going to lead to a swing back to Schroeder. And Malik Beasley closes out to Schroeder, who has one of the slowest releases in the league. And you take all of a sudden, mismatch gone. Crowder's now on that post player. Siakam's on Dame, but you can scram out of that one too. Like, problem solved. No, they just let Malik Beasley on an island try to guard a massive Scotty Barnes who shot an easy hook shot over the top. And then they did it the very next possession against Pat Connaughton and did the exact same thing and left him on an island. So it's a failure at all levels. A failure at the point of attack. A failure in your ball screen coverages from your screen defenders who are just not doing a good job right now. Even Brooke Lopez, just not doing a good job right now. Failure of your help and recover. And the last but not least, a failure to grab defensive rebounds. A consistent problem in that Toronto Raptors game was just guys standing around and watching while guys were crashing from the perimeter to get those rebounds. There was a play where Gary Trent Jr. grabbed an offensive rebound from his ass on the ground while multiple bucks stood around and watched. Like, and it led to a wide open three on the left wing that went in. So, like, it's it's a problem. They're 14th in defensive rebounding percentage so far this year. They were second last year. Most of that is just effort. So, again, schematically, there are a couple things. they got to do a better job of protecting their small guys in post-mismatches. It, so, for starters, don't switch if you can avoid it. Like, especially against teams like that that are power teams that don't have good pull-up shooting. Just trail your smaller player over the top. Don't switch the screen, right? When you do end up in a transition cross match or you have to switch and there's a post mismatch, you have to double and rotate out of it. And then last but not least, your ball screen coverages have to be more conservative because your perimeter defense is not good. You're giving up too many straight line drives and guys are getting over the top of ball screens too easy. So you have to sit further back. Again, you got to identify the strengths and weaknesses of your defense. Your strength is your back line. This is not a team, I don't think, that is capable of becoming a top five defense. But they might be able to get into that 10 to 15 range if they get elite at protecting the rim and elite at grabbing contested rebounds on the defensive end. What's the giveaway there? You're going to have to probably give up some three-point shots on the weak side, and that's going to stop you from being a truly elite defense. But at the very least, if you get that worked out, and then you work out your offensive end, you can still be a very, very good playoff team as we, we've seen with teams like Denver, right? So like, again, this is not crisis mode. It's just everyone on the roster has got to do a better job and you've got to make some schematic adjustments for your specific group of personnel. On the offensive end, in the entire first half against Toronto when they got their ass kicked, Damon Giannis shared the floor for, what, at least 12, 13 minutes. I'm not sure the exact number. But I watched every single possession. They ran two Dame Giannis pick and rolls in the entire first half. In the first one, because Toronto was not blitzing the ball screen. In the first one, OG Ananobi was guarding Giannis. And um, I believe Schroeder was on Dame. And on the play, Giannis comes up and doesn't set a screen. He slips out of it. It was almost like Dame and Giannis just assumed they were going to blitz. They don't blitz. OG stays home. Dennis chases, Dame throws the pocket pass as if it's a blitz in a a slip, and it just gets easily stolen, and then they go the other way. 
And then they went back to it a few possessions later on the right wing, and Dame identified that it wasn't going to be a blitz, and Giannis set a better pick, and Dame came off free and clear and got a good look at a 24-foot pull-up three. He just missed it. Now, that's going to be an issue to start the season. Dame is out of shape, clearly. He's 7 for 22 on pull-up jump shots. Um, just 46% in effective field goal percentage weighted for threes, three for 11 on catch and shoot jump shots, and all of them are getting left short. He's leaving consistently pull up jump shots short on the rim. That one I just told you about, that second Giannis Dane ball screen, barely grazed the front of the rim. So, like, he's also 53% at the rim, by the way. So, like, do I think Dame's going to consistently miss shots? No. I think that's a problem that's going to be solved in the long run just by Dame getting in shape and getting his legs underneath him, right? But make it easier on yourself. Why is it that the action that we were all terrified of, this Giannis Dame pick and roll that's capable of being so devastating, the one that I charted in a preseason game at like something crazy, like a point and a half per possession, why aren't you running that? Why isn't that a thing? If, if, for, if for no other reason other than to build the continuity and, and, and like kind of like experience with that action because you're going to need to lean on it when you get down the road to the playoffs, right? Um. But, like, at the end of the day, they're just not playing well enough, the two main guys. Like, Dame is out of shape, missing shots. Um, Giannis is in this, like, weird funk right now where he's, like, in the half court trying to play bully ball too much, and the teams are just sitting on it. And, like, he's missing reads. There were several possessions in the Raptors game where he just barreled down the lane and either turned it over or got an offensive foul or missed a shot while there were open shooters on the wing. And, like, again... That's where getting him in an advantage situation operating off of Dame's ball screens is a great way to make him a more effective half-court player. He's settling for a ton of pull-up jump shots, not so much in the Toronto game, but it's just because they were getting their ass kicked. But in the season so far, he's taken 13 pull-up jump shots already. Like, why? Why is Giannis taking 13 pull-up jump shots already? Like, that just shouldn't be the case. Um, so, like, at the end of the day, like, Dame and Giannis just got to play better. Like I said before, like, Sometimes you're just playing shitty basketball, and right now your stars are playing shitty basketball. One thing I saw that was kind of uh, optimistic, there was an action in the first half, in the first quarter, where Damian Lillard and Chris Middleton ran a pick and roll, or pick, like a ball screen, and the Raptors switched it, got Dennis Schroeder onto Chris Middleton, threw the ball to Chris Middleton, and he took an easy left shoulder fade over Dame on the baseline, or over uh, uh, Dennis on the baseline for an easy bucket. Like That's another way to kind of identify an entry point in the defense. Those one, three pick and rolls are almost always switches, it's a great way to get a small defender onto uh, Chris or a bigger defender onto Dame, and then you can enter the offense from there. But flatly, the Stars have to play better. On the offensive end, the Stars have to play better. On the defensive end, everybody at every level, from the coaching staff down to the point of attack defense, down to the ball screen defense, down to the help defense, to the defensive rebounding, everybody's got to do a better job. Am I worried about the Bucks? No. This was definitely a worse start than I was expecting, though. But I did say, I said, Expect the Bucks to struggle throughout the regular season just because this is a team that's going to have to figure out how to win a different way. But make no mistake, if they do figure that out at some point before the end of the season, they're going to be a very dangerous playoff team. All right, guys, that is all I have for today. We're going to be back tonight uh, after the Nuggets-Mavericks game in the late-night ESPN slate. So I'm um, not sure exactly which games we'll be covering tonight, but we'll do two or three instant reactions. Uh, then we're going to take the weekend off, and then we'll get back on Monday uh, with it, some instant reactions and some deep dives at that point. As always, I appreciate you guys, and I'll see you later tonight.
the volume. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 